and welcome to Sabi Reason's Malicious Life. I'm Ran Levy. Two years ago, in July 2019, we released a special episode titled Operation Softcell. In it, I told the story of how researchers from Cyber Reason's Nocturnus research team uncovered a massive espionage campaign against some of the world's largest telecommunications companies by APT10, a Chinese state-sponsored cyber espionage group. APT10 used a variety of tools to infiltrate these telcos' networks and steal cell data records, or CDRs. These records hold meta-information about phone calls by the telco's customers, such as the source and destination phone numbers, geographic locations of the devices, and more. Softcell was an extremely targeted attack. In one case, for example, records of only some 20 individuals were exfiltrated. We can only guess their identities. Leaders? Journalists? Dissidents? Who knows? A few days ago, in early August of 2021, CyberReason released a new report, this time titled Operation Dead Ringer, detailing a new massive espionage campaign targeting major telcos. As usual, we took advantage of the fact that CyberReason is our show's sponsor to get a rare inside look at how exactly that campaign was uncovered. Nate Nelson, our senior producer, spoke with Asaf Dahan, senior director and head of threat research at CyberReason's Nocturnus team. As usual, I'll step in once in a while to provide you with background information and context where needed. Enjoy the interview. Asaf, let's just start with you briefly introducing who you are. Hi, Nate. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so my name is Asaf. I'm a senior director and head of threat uh, research at uh, the Nocturnus team at CyberReason. Uh, my team and I, we follow different threat actors, uh, be it cybercrime or nation state APT uh, uh, threat groups. So to get things started, what triggered the investigation that we're going to be talking about today? Okay, so one of the main triggers for, for this investigation, um, there are two actually. So first one is, uh, if you remember, back in 2019, uh, we released a, a very um, detailed report about a threat group called SoftCell, an activity group which uh, attacked uh, telcos uh, in different locations around the world. They weren't known back at, at, at the time, and we found out that they've been active since 2012. Since then, we continued monitoring their activity and looking for new signs of activity. So that was one of them. But I, I guess one of the uh, major triggers uh, for that was uh, when Microsoft released their Hafni report, uh, speaking about uh, which detailed and disclosed the discovery of um, several Microsoft Exchange Server vulnerabilities. Um, so that was in March 2021. Uh, earlier earlier this year. And once we learned about those vulnerabilities, uh, our incident response and threat hunting teams and, and my team as well, uh, we started to proactively hunt for uh, behavioral indicators of these attacks. And what do you know? We found dozens of attacks worldwide across multiple industries. So th that, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> a lot of work, a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, and we started going over a huge amount of data uh, from our telemetry. And uh, one specific intrusion 
kind of stood out and looked very familiar. It's like we had this deja vu feeling that uh, got us kind of excited because we could immediately recognize uh, soft cell fingerprints all over the scene, all over the, all over the crime scene. So that kind of started uh, the investigation. And um, over a couple of weeks, we gathered more and more data, you know, the more we dived into it and went down that rabbit hole, the more uh, stuff that we found. And we started noticing uh, several anomalies. Some things just didn't add up. And the more we investigated, we realized that we were actually looking at not one, but actually three clusters of intrusions. So that was uh, that was a, a big deal. And each cluster had its own unique properties, behavioral indicators, and set of tools, uh, which we were later able to attribute those three clusters to, th- to three different clusters of Chinese APT groups. Uh, the first one was soft cell. The second one was the Nikon APT, and the third one is APT-27. So you had spotted signs of soft cell, but how, as researchers, do you know it's them, right? What is it about the data that you're finding that you can then point to and say, oh, we've seen these guys before? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, as I said, we started looking at uh, a lot of data. Uh, We started working our way from exploited IAS and exchange servers because um, th- that were that was like kind of like our, our starting point and from there we you know we climbed down you know the tree uh, and started seeing uh, a lot of behavioral data uh, specific tools specific commands and you know a tradecraft you know uh, like when you look at a lot of data and once you've done it for, for a long time, uh, and you are familiar quite intimately with uh, certain threat actors, you can see, you can spot a tradecraft. You can see patterns of activity that um, that correlated and overlapped with what we previously known uh, about the group and how they operate, their mo- modus operandi. And uh, considering the geographical locations in Southeast Asia and um, the industry, which is uh, telecommunications or telcos, um, that kind of like checked all of the boxes again of course with attribution it can it's always prone to uh you know psychological warfare and false flags and everything so of course there's everything needs to be taken with a grain of salt but we're at this point we're quite sure that at least the first cluster uh that i mentioned was soft cell and then we found the other clusters and we're going to get to the other clusters but firstly um a, a number of our listeners will have heard the content that we did about soft cell, but it was a while ago. So if you wouldn't mind, can you just remind us uh, who they are, what they do? Yeah, so the profile uh, of this threat actor is, um, well, we believe or, or indicate, there's a lot of indication that, that point that it, it's a, an APT group uh, or threat group that is working or operating on behalf of Chinese state uh, interest. They have attacked um, or, uh, penetrated uh, different telcos worldwide. And uh, the goal was to conduct covert cyber espionage operations. So imagine if you hack a telco, you can um, access, you can potentially access um, data of millions of subscribers, uh, specifically CDR data, for example, uh, which is the cold data record, uh, which can help them track down their um, target's location. They can understand with whom they, um, their targets were communicating, 
which times, locations, uh, stuff like that. So it's a very powerful tool. Once you uh, hack a telco, you can get a lot of information because everything we do nowadays is through our phones, basically. Yeah, and we're going to get to that uh, a bit later. But firstly, what is it that helps you define clusters, right? So you see evidence of soft cell, but then presumably you see data that leads you to other groups. How do you set the boundaries? How do you know when it's not them anymore and that there are three distinct entities? Oh, that's a very good question. So I think from, um, and this is perhaps one of the greatest challenges uh, that uh, threat researchers and threat intelligence uh, analysts face is how do you distinguish one kill chain from another, one intrusion from another, right? Uh, especially if they're happening around the same time. I mean, um, let's say on a, any given network nowadays, there's at least one threat actor operating, whether it's cybercrime or APT nation state, right? Uh, so how do you distinguish uh, one kill chain from, from another? Uh, and that was even more challenging because they were there um, on a specific same network around similar timeframes um, and uh, sometimes even on the same endpoints. So into, it's almost like instinctively we want to, you know, our brain is almost wired to treat it all as, uh, as, as one big attack, right? But uh, I always say that God is in the details. And uh, once you really start processing the data, you start to see that some things just don't add up, like there are anomalies, like all of a sudden you see a different tool, a different technique that was never used before, or something that uh, doesn't add up with a timeline. So you start you know, digging in more, you bring more data, and all of a sudden, you know, once you um, start to do clustering the right way through an attribution model, we work with the famous diamond attribution model, Asaf mentioned a term, attribution model, that I think some of our listeners might not be familiar with. An excellent opportunity for me to introduce this important concept. A big part of any analysis of a cyber incident is attribution, determining who is the entity responsible for the attack. As we all know, such attribution is not an easy thing in cybersecurity. But given the fact that even the best attackers usually leave some traces of their actions behind them, skilled analysts can try to connect these dots and figure out who is behind the attack. The problem is that such an investigation can yield many, many pieces of information, and trying to combine this information with existing knowledge, such as threat intel, is like trying to solve a giant Sudoku puzzle. An attribution model is an attempt to apply scientific principles to intrusion analysis, a kind of cognitive framework that can help an analyst make sense of all that information, tie new pieces of information together with existing ones, and identify knowledge gaps. Think of it as guidelines on how to efficiently solve Sudoku puzzles. The diamond model is one such framework. There's really no point in going into details, so I'll just provide you with a very basic overview. It has four 
core elements. The adversary, the threat actor responsible for the attack, the capability, the tools and techniques used by the adversary, the infrastructure, the physical and logical communication means used in the attack, such as email or IP addresses, and finally the victim, the attacked entity. These four elements are tied together in the model, hence the diamond shape. As Asaf said, he and his team used the diamond attribution model to analyze the data they gathered to identify three possible threat actors involved in the attack. Back to Nate and Asaf. You see that there are three distinct patterns uh, emerge. Again, at this point, we're, we're not saying that the three clusters uh, are not connected, or and but we're not saying that they are connected. We're we're stating there there is an interesting overlap. Uh, we're just saying that these are three distinct clusters, and we attributed them to three different threat actors. But whether those threat actors work in tandem, whether they are cooperating, or maybe they work independently, or even maybe piggybacking on each other's access. These are all plausible scenarios, and we actually um, refer to it in our blog, uh, in, in our attribution section, because there could be numerous uh, scenarios uh, that can happen there. In many cases, uh, you know, based our, on our experience with uh, Chinese threat actors and other threat actors, uh, sometimes you'll have like uh, an access team that will grant you access to a certain uh, target and then like there's another team that comes and takes over and like pulls a certain data and then there's another team that does or they could have like different missions there could be any number of of scenarios and, and we try to account for those scenarios yeah but i've i've dragged it out long enough uh soft before we continue can you just define these clusters for us it sounds like we've heard a, a bit about a but also b and c Yes, so um, cluster A is a, is a cluster that um, we first observed in, um, I want to say, late 2020. And this is the cluster that we attributed to the soft cell threat actor. Once we started digging in, uh, we saw, we actually got, uh, we were pretty lucky and we found forensic evidence that uh, showed that um, they've been operating on this specific network for over two and a half years. So they've been there, there since 2018, actually. And when we got to the scene, we got to the scene at um, late 2020, once we identified their activity, we started to contain it. We tried to mitigate it. And it kind of took us in a, in a very interesting path of this cat and mouse game, because we would block them and then they would retool or change their tactics a little bit and come back. And then, so this went uh, on and on for, for a couple of months until we were able to hopefully kick them out. This is uh, perhaps wishful thinking, uh, but uh, nowadays there are no signs of, uh, of them being on, the, on that specific network. Uh, and of course, all the uh, indicators uh, that we found uh, correlated with our understanding of what is Softel as a threat actor. The, there were like very um, unique command lines and tools and, and almost like a playbook that, that they used. And we, we were able to identify it almost like uh, 
is like when you look at it, you know, if you put it in a spreadsheet, almost you can, it's almost identical. Uh, unless it's a copycat, that's all, always a possibility, right? Uh, the second cluster uh, is as a cluster that we found also in late 2020, uh, but we haven't found um, evidence that show that it goes back. I think we really believe that they started their activity around uh, late 2020. And one of the indications is that they used a very rare backdoor called a nebula backdoor. Uh, which we thought we were first to discover, but then we were scooped by a, a different uh, security company. And But anyway, what I'm trying to say is that this backdoor is very rare. It's very new. Uh, it has, I think, almost... Um, it doesn't have a lot of uh, references online. And uh, so we really feel it's, it's like a fresh APT uh, or a fresh activity as opposed to the soft cell activity that happened for um, since 2018. Asaf mentioned the Nebulae backdoor. What is the Nebulae backdoor? Well, late last year, in 2020, researchers from Bitdefender uncovered an espionage campaign against several military organizations in Southeast Asia by an APT group called Nikon. Nikon is a Chinese APT threat actor which has been active for more than 10 years already. Nikon used several tools in the campaign, and one of them was a malware, an executable file and a DLL file that the researchers named Nebulae, which I personally think is a beautiful name for what is, sadly, a pretty nasty piece of software. It allows the attackers to gather information about the infected machines, delete files and directories, and download and upload files from a command and control server. Also, in a few more minutes, Asaf will mention two more names, Iron Tiger and Owa Backdoor. So let's go over these two briefly. Iron Tiger is another group of Chinese hackers, also known as Lucky Mouse and APT27. That group is responsible for a recent attack against several Western corporations, which resulted in massive amounts of stolen information including email dumps, intellectual property, strategic planning documents, and more. OWA, spelled O-W-A, is the Outlook web application mail server. The OWA backdoor is an advanced malware that can infect such servers and allow attackers to steal email passwords and similar information. Uh, we saw a lot of, uh, in, in both cluster A and cluster B, we saw a lot of reconnaissance activity. Um, they really tried to um, map out the network, uh, gain uh, access to um, high profile targets and, and, and high profile assets actually. So like main, uh, major servers, um, they took over the domain admin. So basically they, they gained control over the network. And the last cluster, uh, which we called it a mini cluster, uh, was identified mostly by a very rare OA backdoor. At, the, at first we thought it was like a, a brand new thing, but uh, once we dived into the code of the backdoor, we saw 
great similarities to a backdoor that was identified back in uh, 2017, I think in, in Operation Iron Tiger, which was attributed to the APT-27, also a Chinese uh, threat actor. By the way, the Nikon APT uh, threat actor uh, was attributed by different uh, security firms uh, to the PLA, to the Chinese People's Liberation Army. Uh, they have like a cyber division there. And uh, so both, uh, so all, all three clusters are somehow linked to Chinese threat actors. This very rare OA backdoor uh, is, is pretty interesting because it sits almost like a leech right on, on a on Microsoft Exchange server and, and IIS servers. So anyone who tries to, let's say, log in to their Outlook in, within the attack company, you know, any employee, uh, it will record their uh, credentials and, and other data there and send it back to the attackers, meaning that the attackers could uh, have the credentials of anyone working for, for that uh, telco. Another interesting thing is that uh, we were, again, lucky and found forensic evidence that um, the earliest signs of intrusion, I guess, uh, dates back to 2017. So they've been operating since 2017 all the way through 2021, pretty much uninterrupted, uh, which is pre pretty cool. Okay, so how is it that they and SoftCell stayed undetected for so long? What stealth tactics did they use? Uh, that's a very good question because um, in most uh, you know major companies, especially uh, big companies such as telcos, you have uh, antiviruses and firewalls and different security measures at place. Sometimes I, I myself am baffled that uh, something like that has been under the radar for for so long. But then again, when when you look at the techniques that they used, when you look at the tools that they used. A lot of them used, let's say, uh, techniques like uh, law bins, like uh, living off the land binaries. Uh, they had custom tools that they that uh, had very low detection rate or even none on on virus total. So they knew exactly how to evade certain, let's say, traditional security mechanisms. They all also employed, um, in certain cases, anti forensics techniques to really thwart uh, detection and investigation uh, efforts. Um, what else? I mentioned that uh, it was a can-mouse game. We, we blocked them and then they came back. Uh, so we saw that they, they would uh, repackage or retool their tools in a way that uh, would also uh, bypass certain, um, let's say traditional security products, but would also circumvent behavioral-based uh, solutions such as ours. And it was so it was very interesting and very uh, challenging, but also fun in, in a way from from our perspective, right? To kind of like play this game of who will outsmart whom. Okay, so we have three clusters concentrated in telco network. Now, in your documentation, as you mentioned you have all these kinds of scenarios for what may be going on here. Can you sort of draw us through it? What are all of these entities doing and why are they so close to one another? The honest answer is that we don't know. We don't know. There, uh, we can only hypothesize why are they uh, found together. So as I mentioned before, it could be that they all working somehow in tandem. Uh, working uh, together to achieve a certain goal. It could be that they are 
let's say, aware of each other, but each team, let's say, works independently and they have their own missions and, uh, you know, different goals. And it could be that they, they work separately, completely separately. And uh, whether they're aware or unaware of each other, that's a good question. But we do know that at least from an attribution perspective, the three clusters seem distinct. They don't look the same, right? Uh, whether, I mean, we, we, all, we know that they're all somehow linked to China or Chinese threat, uh, threat groups. But uh, the truth is, is this, we, we actually don't know how and if they're interconnected or not. Uh, in our documentation, in our blog, we actually raise this question. We, we provide, as I mentioned, different plausible scenarios. But uh, we also um, send a message of, uh, I guess, hope or, uh, hope, I mean, we're hoping that over time, um, and as more researchers and security companies look look into um, that attack, we'll get more answers. Uh, attribution is something that has to be always reassessed and reevaluated over time because what we know today and what we know, let's say, in a month time or in a year's time can change the picture. Uh, so we try to be accurate and, and stick to the facts. And uh, where, wherever we hypothesize, we mentioned, okay, this is a hypothesis we don't know. Um, and hopefully in maybe in the near foreseeable future, uh, we'll, there'll be more clarity around the connections uh, between those groups. We also, in, in our attribution part of the blog, we also uh, draw very interesting connection to another uh, Chinese APT group called APT41. Some refer to it as uh, WinTI Win or WinTi. Um, so again, all kind of like all signs point in the direction of, of Chinese threat actors involvement. Um, but sometimes the connection between them can be a bit tricky to pin down. One thing you mentioned earlier that I want to get to is why these attackers are going after telcos in the first place because, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, my assumption is that it's not the telecommunications companies themselves that are so important to these foreign aid entities. It is rather that through the telcos, they could hack or learn information about any number of other entities that are communicating over these lines, right? It's part of this pattern of supply chain attacks, SolarWinds, MS Exchange, and so on. So what do we know about what these attackers want, what data they're going after, what they're looking for? Once you hack a telco and, you, and you're able to um, access information about the telco's subscribers, you can get a lot of a lot of information about potential targets. So, I mean, it can potentially affect millions and millions of subscribers. But like realistically speaking, uh, the cyber espionage program usually targets, uh, let's say, a few dozens or a few hundreds only in a certain country. Yeah, uh, maybe a thousand really de depends on, on, on the mission. Right. So um, we know that the attackers try to gain access to servers that contain CDR data. But there could have been other things that they were after. For instance, knowing you know where certain cell towers are deployed or knowing the topology of a certain um, telecommunication network is also essential when you have an, a cyber espionage program to get you know 
more sources and stuff like that. So could, there could be other motivations for the attack, but the, the premises or like the, the current assessment that we have is that um, it was mainly, um, uh, they were after cyber espionage. There are other plausible scenarios um, where let's say in a state of war or if they want to somehow affect different events, I don't know, like elections or stuff like that happening in, in, in a given country, uh, they, let's say if they own the network, they can potentially shut down and cause outages uh, of service. So it's not, I'm not saying that this, what ha- this is what happened or that was their goal, but I'm saying that it is another plausible scenario. And maybe it seems obvious, but just to state it anyway, what can an attacker learn from the data that telecommunications companies have about you? Oh yeah, you can build an entire profile about uh, about a person. So if you know where uh, a person is located every part of the day, you can build a profile and you can say, okay, this is um, this is the target's office. This is probably uh, their, their target's uh, homes. This is where they're met. We know that, for instance, let's say a target is supposed to meet uh, with, uh, I don't know, like a, a journalist or something like that at a certain time, but we don't, you don't know where. So, I mean, you can do a lot of profiling. You can see who they contacted, okay? When did they send a text? When did they call someone uh, who was on the other side? Uh, there's, I mean, uh, you can get creative with it, but uh, basically you can uh, really profile your targets quite well. And one more maybe obvious thing, but I think it's important, you know, when we talk about major telcos, Chinese government, U.S. government, it can all feel a bit separated. You know, most of our listeners aren't involved with these giant entities. So why should people out there care in particular about this story? I think it's very troubling um, to know that uh, governments... I mean, this time it's, it's China, but I mean, I'm not uh, naive. I guess every major power and every major co- or country with with a, a strong cyber capabilities are performing cyber espionage worldwide. Whether it's the U.S., whether it's the European countries, um, Asian countries. I mean, so I don't think uh, China is like the only country that hacks telcos, and today it can happen to in this region or to this telco to tomorrow it can happen to another telco in a different region or maybe perhaps a different industry but i think it's important to um i think uh, for cybersecurity practitioners i think it's important to um learn for, for first of all really study their, their um, our reports our blogs and other stuff that is available uh, out there online understand the modus operandi, understand the, the techniques, because today it could be telcos, but tomorrow it could be pharmaceuticals, or it could be uh, energy companies, or it could be something else, governments. Uh, so if you understand how a certain threat actor works, uh, you understand, you know how to detect their tools, it can really benefit uh, others. Yeah, although my thought in all of this is that if soft cell and cluster C got to stick around this particular telecom network for all the time that he did, what other communications networks are currently compromised that we just don't know about yet? Exactly. So, and for that reason, I mean, um, 
let's say for every blog that we publish, there are a lot of other investigations that we we, we don't publish for different reasons, legals and uh, different uh, reasons, um, privacy and so on. But um, when we choose to publish a blog is mostly because we want to uh, alert the public or, or the cybersecurity or the infosec community because uh, you want to make the, the, our insights actionable and we provide IOCs and a lot of uh, in, uh, behavioral indicators. So if any of our listeners is working for a telco, for instance, but not just telcos, but if they are working uh, for telcos in particular, I, I would strongly advise them to really study their report and try to take the IOCs and, and uh, but most, most of all, the behavioral indicators and to start proactively hunt for similar behaviors and similar attack patterns. Because um, as we said, th these guys are very uh, stealthy. They know how to uh, run long uh, operations and they do, they've done it quite successfully o over the years, as we know. Um, so I think that this type of report or blog is, is, is gold for, for security practitioners. And that leads right into my last question, which is how can telcos protect themselves against these kinds of attacks, but also important, how can companies and individuals protect themselves against attacks against telcos that they don't have any control over? First of all, I think uh, it, it starts with having a good security posture. Uh, and we always say that uh, security comes in, um, there are different layers of defense. We, you want to have a layered security. So you want to make sure that your external parameter, your internal parameter are covered by different. So there, there's not a single security product that will stop an attack completely or will detect everything. So it's all about the world is moving to, towards an XDR type of uh, like a more holistic, more wholesome view of security. So you want to be able to correlate network information with endpoint information um, and, and so on. Uh, you want to have um, uh, security solutions that are maybe not so much outdated that, uh, that have machine learning algorithms there because uh, it's very easy, I mean, to bypass traditional antiviruses back in my hacking days, uh, sorry, pen, pen, penetration testing days, I was not never a criminal. <laughs> uh, back in my penetration test, testing days, it didn't take me that much to bypass most antiviruses. And I'm not the world's greatest hacker. So if let alone a nation state that has all the resources and, and time and brilliant minds there. Uh, so you want to be make sure that you have the right visibility, the right tools that can not only see the attacks, but also block them. But most of all, I think, and this I cannot stress this enough, uh, I think you really have to take it from a purely defensive or reactive uh, state of mind towards a proactive state of mind. And I know this is a buzzword and people are saying it all the time, be proactive, but, but I really mean it because this is how you you eventually find, you know, gold, the, the real covert attacks. If you just wait for an alert to pop, yeah, you, you'll, you know, it's, there's a chance, there's a good chance you will find stuff. But if your your team, you and your team are proactively looking for um, known threats that can target your industry or your region, 
um, this is where you usually find the more sexy or like more covert uh, stuff. And so this is why, you know, teams like blue teams need to have uh, to work together with research teams and a threat intelligence team to understand the threat landscape that is relevant to their company, to their industry, to their region. So know thy enemy, right? So you need to know who's out there, who's potentially do a lot, a lot of threat modeling, for instance. And of course, always try to, uh, I, I'd commission, I personally commission red teams and, and uh, penetration tests at least uh, once or twice a year, because, you know, it's when you try to defend a, a large parameter, such as a telco or like any other big company, there are so many ways of, you know, of getting in and the attackers only need one successful entry point. So uh, you want to be able to cover all those topics, I guess. But I think the number one is is really be proactive. Know the threats, understand how they work, understand the tools, and make sure that all of those insights are translated into an actionable intelligence, that you have the IOCs, that you have good hunting queries, Yarrows, and so on. All right. Thank you, Asaf. That was fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. CK Music, 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 music.